Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Hey, uh, if we haven't met before, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just great. It's just an honor and a privilege to be with you here tonight and bringing the Word of God. We are in a fresh new series called The Power of Encounter. And The Power of Encounter is a series we do every year to realign ourselves with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because so often, the more Christianized we become as followers of Jesus, the more comfortable we get with the things we do in our life, and the more we can just go in autopilot. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come in and mess us up again. Because when we get comfortable, we get ineffective. In fact, we kind of slide into middle-class lives and are okay with that. But we need a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. So my prayer tonight is that the Holy Spirit would come and do a powerful work in your spirits. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, the reason we're doing this is because over my time as, as a follower of Jesus, I have seen people radically healed. I've seen people with damaged body parts healed in an instant. I've seen people that are struggling with chronic injuries are healed in an instant, with mental injuries, mental illnesses healed in an instant. I've seen people given the, the gift of miracle children. I've seen people delivered from demons. I've seen family members walk away healed where they thought they could never possibly be healed. I have seen hope come where there was no hope. I've seen people speak in foreign languages and people interpret them. I have seen the Holy Spirit work in all sorts of wonderful ways. I've seen entire meetings of people where we have been on our knees in awe of the work of God among us. All that is to say, I've seen the Holy Spirit in action time and again, and the Holy Spirit wants to move in this place as well tonight. That is why we gather. That is why we are called Encounter Church, because we are all about helping you have an encounter with Jesus. We can't force that. What we can do is facilitate it and coach you and help you open up to what the Spirit wants to do. After that, it's over to you and it's over to the Spirit. But what we're going to do today is create the space for that. And what I really want to do is start with something a little more academic than usual, and that is really ask the question of who is the Holy Spirit? Because I think sometimes in church, we can get very comfortable with the idea of God the Father or God the Creator. Yeah, sure, I can look around, I can see creation. I'm comfortable with this idea. Things are created, there must be a Creator. Ergo, you know, it's not that complicated. What about Jesus? Yep, get Jesus. Yep, he was, he was born to the Virgin Mary. We've got all this information about him. We've got all these four biographies in the Gospels. We've got these external sources that confirm who he is. Easy, I get Jesus. What about the Holy Spirit? Ah, it's a bit of a pass, a bit, bit hard to explain. The Holy, the Holy Spirit sometimes treated like the red-headed stepchild of, of the Trinity. This is not the case. Tom, you're not a stepchild, okay? Don't step into that like it's a direct shot. <laughs> My apologies to those who are red-headed stepchilds. The last thing I would want to do is to offend anyone in any way or anything ever. Somebody said the other day when Jenny's not here, it just gets spicier. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Buckle up. So who is the... Ho- oh, yeah, no, now with all this, let me just encourage you. There's going to be a lot of information. 
Let me encourage you while I offend you. There's going to be a lot of information, but the purpose of this is not information, it's transformation. That's the purpose of the Spirit's work in our life. It's not just to give us good information that we write down. It's to give us good news that is declared to us that then we live out through our lives and declare to the nations. Amen? That's what we're about. So that being said, let's get into a little bit of information. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is known as the third person in the Trinity. I'm going to give you a brief glance at Trinitarian theology, right? Christians are monotheistic. That means if you're here and you're not sure who Christians worship, we worship one God, I promise, just one. But then when we look at Jesus and the Holy Spirit, this is where it gets a bit complicated because we go, just one? It looks like there's three. Fair enough. The Trinity is God in three persons, not personas, persons, right? So a persona is is like a um, role you step into. I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor. There's four personas straight away. But this is not different personas. These are distinct persons of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But at the same time, this is one God. So these three statements help sum it up. God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Okay? God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. If we hold to any two of these statements without the third, it is not sufficient. Each of these is a specific heresy that the church has had to combat over the years again and again. The first one, this is for the geeks out there who will really enjoy this. first one's called modalism. The second one is called Arianism. And the third one is called polytheism. Polytheism is just the belief in multiple gods. So if you deny one of those three, it ends up being a heresy. You need to believe all three together. Now, to get an image of this, sometimes we describe it like water. Water's not the best analogy because... Water, ice, and steam, even though they're three versions of the same thing, happen at three different times. What is a better analogy is to imagine imagine a tree, right? Everyone got a picture of a tree? Want you imagine the trunk, the branches, the leaves. I want you to imagine that somebody says to you, here is a tree. You're like, yep, definitely a tree. That you point to the trunk and they say, what's that? And they say, you say, it's a trunk, but it's also a tree. You point to the branches. What's this? They're branches, but it is also a tree. What are that? They're leaves, but they're also a tree. They're three distinct things, but they are also a tree. So imagine that you could just point to branches and say, it's a tree. Are you beginning to gather? This is sort of how the three in one work together, the indwelling of the Trinitarian God. So we address the Holy Spirit with that as he or she or Holy Spirit, but never it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not an object. It's a person. I do this all the time. In fact, I just said it's a person. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. So I want to encourage you in the language you use, start to refer to the Holy Spirit as he. Or if if you're a woman, it might make you more comfortable to refer to the Holy Spirit as she. The Holy Spirit is spirit, right? There's no offense around gender with the spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. Jesus the Son is the Son. And God the Father we traditionally address as the Father. And that together is the Trinity, three in one any further and we go all the way down the trinitarian rabbit hole so we're just going to put that to the side for now and push on what does the holy spirit do let's get into a good origin story right the holy spirit was present in creation this was not something that came along later the holy spirit has been present from day one genesis chapter one verses one to two the spirit of god hovers over the deep before anything else happens god is present and present in spirit says the scriptures 
Then in the Old Testament, he came upon different people at different times for different purposes. In the book of Exodus, we hear that the Spirit falls upon Bezalel to have um, artisanship and craftsmanship as he's part of the Ark of the Covenant, the building of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle that it was housed in. And so Bezalel has not only... um, Uh, physical gifts of craftsmanship that he's learned, the Holy Spirit falls on him and enhances those gifts. Then the book of Judges, we see Gideon. Gideon is gifted by the Spirit with a gift of leadership. We know it's the Spirit because when we meet Gideon, he is hiding in a wine press like a coward. But the Holy Spirit falls on him, calls out leadership, and then sends him to do it empowered by the Spirit. Only God can do this. The Holy Spirit falls on Samson, gives him strength, gives him courage, doesn't give him wisdom, but does give him strength and courage. He, a bit more wisdom and a bit more habit forming in his life, let's just say, might have helped Samson. And then in the book of Isaiah, we see the Spirit of God fall upon Isaiah to prophesy. It's very specifically said, the Spirit of God is upon Isaiah. And so these are different times when the Holy Spirit has fallen throughout the history of the people of God in Israel to do different things. The Holy Spirit equipping different people with different gifts, for different reasons, same Spirit. All with me so far? Good. God promised then the Holy Spirit to be given to the people of God through all these Old Testament prophecies. We see in Ezekiel, one of my favorites, where the prophet is promised by God in chapter 36 that he would take the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh, put a new heart and a new spirit in. And the word is ruach, the spirit of God, is put into the uh, people of God in this vision of Ezekiel. And in the next chapter, we see the Valley of Dry Bones, very famous chapter. There's all these skeletons and God says to Ezekiel, what do we do with them? And Ezekiel speaks life into them as God tells him to. And the skeletons stand up and flesh comes on them and they are animated, but they don't move. They're not alive yet until the Spirit of God is breathed into them. It is all about the Spirit. Then we see the prophet Joel. There's a a revelation that God promises to pour out his spirit upon all people. And it's this incredible day that is promised. It's men and women. It's young and old. It's slave and free. This is an egalitarian promise for all people that the Holy Spirit is for you and is going to fall on you. That's the Old Testament. Then we get to Jesus. And around Jesus' birth, everybody goes wild. The spirit is falling left, right, and center, which is the sort of thing you want to see when you're declaring somebody the son of God. You see Elizabeth filled with the Spirit. You see Mary filled with the Spirit. You see Zechariah filled with the Spirit. All these people filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist in the womb is filled with the Holy Spirit, which feels like a great head start. Then you get to Jesus' actual baptism, and the Spirit of God comes down upon him. John baptizes him. He comes up. The Spirit of God falls upon him, and the audible voice of God speaks a blessing upon him. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Jesus himself. And then Jesus immediately goes into the desert. And who leads him there? The Holy Spirit. He is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, which, by the way, is worth remembering if you're going through a wilderness time in your life. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, not by the devil, by the Spirit. Sometimes we need the wilderness time. Then finally, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all believers at Pentecost. We are filled with the Spirit. Tongues of fire land on people's heads. They speak in other tongues. The gifts of the Spirit are released. And the Holy Spirit is out into the world, made possible by the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. You with me so far? Good. I'm going to keep moving. I say all this so that you don't get confused and think that the Holy Spirit was tacked on at the end later. Genesis, Judges, Exodus... Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, take your pick. The Spirit of God is present, moving, active. 
So in Matthew 27, verse 51, we read that when Jesus died, the veil in the temple is torn. Now, this veil in the temple is said to be as thick as a man's hand. It's more of a curtain than a veil. And it is 30 feet in height, and it is torn from top to bottom. By the way, the reason it's torn from top to bottom, not from side to side or bottom to top, is so that we can know it was only by the hand of God that can be torn that way. Nobody else could have done it. Nobody else could have got up there. And so when that happens, we have Jesus dead. We have the veil, the veil that separates the presence of God in the temple from the rest of the world. That's torn. Suddenly, every symbol, the physical presence of God in Jesus, the the symbolic presence of God separated by the temple, uh, by the curtain in the temple, all of that is gone. All the barriers are removed. What does that mean? Mayhem. The Holy Spirit is out in the world. And what do we see now? Where's God? Well, in John chapter 16, verse 7, up behind me, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. It is for your benefit if I go. I would imagine that given the disciples have just taken three years to be convinced Jesus is the Son of God, they didn't feel he's benefited by the leaving of Jesus or the crucifixion at that particular point in time. But Jesus is trying to say, listen, I am, as I am right now, incarnate here with you. And for you 12 disciples, that's great. But everyone else, I'm not with them. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit is spirit and can be everywhere all at once for all time. That is the gift that the Spirit will bring. That is the gift that God the Father is pouring out. So Jesus says, it's better if I go. I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. But the Spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. So the presence of God is now not in the temple, nor in Jesus himself, but in the world. And more than that, he is in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You are the temple of the living God right now here on this world. Now, this begs the question, why then do we pray things like Holy Spirit come? If God is everywhere all at once all the time, why do we need to pray for him to come? He's already here, right? That's very true. Here's why. Because if I say to you guys, hey, I love you all very, very much. You're like, oh, that's nice. Thanks, Mike. All the feels. But if I say, Jared, I love you so much, bro. I love your beard. I love the way you're the first person to step foot in Encounter Church before we even had a name, before we were even a church, and you were just the weird uncle to my family. You know, I love you so deeply personally for that. Now, that's a lot more meaningful, isn't it? It's personalized. It's communicable. It's something where this person and me, we're like, yes, there is a relationship here. And that's what God is doing. It's the difference between the omnipresence and the manifest presence. And the manifest presence of God is like an increased presence of God in one place at one time. The stuff that I was talking about right at the start, where we've seen miracles, where we've seen healings, where we've seen people speak in foreign tongues, etc., etc., that is when the manifest presence of God has gathered. And it is almost tangible what God is doing. To be honest, I I was a few seconds late to get up and, and start preaching because of the presence of God was heavy. I could just feel the presence of God in this place. It does not always happen, but we pray for it earnestly. And I'm saying all of this because some of you, as you've come to faith, or as you've been exploring faith, wherever you're at in this journey, you've been asking questions and you're like, oh, what what about these questions I have? Will they ever get answered? Or, or am, I, am I even, how do I know Christianity seems so exclusive? How do I know this is the right thing? How do I know I'm going down the right route? And you want answers to your questions, and that's fine, but you don't want them as much as you think you do. What you really want is the presence of God. 
Because when you have the presence of God, it begins to transform and overwhelm in a way we can't fully understand. There is a reason that the curtain was up separating us from God, because we needed that curtain up. The power of God, the physical power of God, if we dared to invite ourselves to look on him face to face, we would be obliterated because of the sheer holiness and awe and majesty of God. And so we ask for the presence of God, knowing that we now stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we have this incredible grace that God has said, I will fill you with my spirit. And so we reach out and ask and say, yes, God, more, more. I know I'm moving quickly tonight. This is it's just important. And I've known so many people with a strong theology and a wise mind who have struggled in their faith because they've been craving an encounter with Jesus that they haven't had or that they felt they haven't had. Now, you might be asking, do we have to have this? No, you don't have to have this. It's not essential for your salvation. Your salvation is in Christ alone. The grace of God expressed uh, to you, you are justified by your faith in Jesus. That's it. That's the whole thing. But should you desire it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that gives you life, but it's being filled with the Spirit that makes life worth living. When Jesus talks about, I have come to give you life and life in abundance, it wasn't like, let me cash a check on the day of of, um, Easter. It wasn't just about Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. It was about the whole of your life, a spirit-filled life where day by day you are filled with the Spirit, walking forwards, seeing things you've never seen, saying things you've never said, and seeing the world become more like heaven than it has ever been before. Amen? This is what God is desiring for you. So we should desire it with God. That is the prayer of God for us. The Holy Spirit is like the future breaking into the present. It is the kingdom of God breaking in into us right now. It's the now and the not yet. That's what's happening. It's like it's almost like the future is overlaying on the present. Heaven is breaking into earth, friends. That's what happens when we access the presence of God. And if you've felt this before, you know the power of it. Encounter is a Pentecostal church. That's Pentecostal with a little P, not a capital P. But if you ever go to a church and they say they're not a Pentecostal church, leave immediately. Because every church is Pentecostal because we live in the light of Pentecost. We all live in the aftermath of Acts 2. We only walk and live and breathe and have our being and have salvation because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all the non-Jewish people like ourselves and on any Jewish people in the room as well. That's the glory of God being displayed to us. That's the grace of God. We are all Pentecostals, but we are a bit more intentional about it in that we believe that God has poured out His Spirit on His people and has blessed them with gifts and graces, and they are to be used to build each other up. That's what the Spirit's about. That's, we're going to get into that in the next few weeks. Let me stick back to facts. I'm getting a bit fired up tonight. I have to, I have to stop it. Jesus said this. The kingdom of God is within you. And when we think about our bodies as living temples of the Holy Spirit, that begins to make more sense. So the Holy Spirit is here so that we might know and experience the very presence of God here on earth as in heaven. But how do we know it's the Holy Spirit? 
Because I tell you what irritates me, guys, the sermon, this sermon here tonight is really for all you left brain people. So if you're out in the audience, I know you won't cheer because you're too reserved to do that. But in theory, give a little internal, like a, a nod of approval, because that this is what it's all about, to give you a framework of understanding what the Spirit is going to do in your lives. And then frankly, the rest of the series is for the right brain creatives to get all excited. <laughs> but for you left brain types, this is important. Because one of the things that I hear all the time is people coming and saying, how do I know that it's the Holy Spirit and not just my imagination? How do I, how, yes, I, oh yes, okay, I know last week I put my hand up and I was sure I'd had this encounter with God. I was positive, but how do I know? Like, you mean apart from the fact you put your hand up and you were positive about it? Okay, well, let's just leave that. How do you know? That's a good, it is actually a good question. Because there's definitely a risk of emotionalism, which, by the way, is not such a bad thing. But again, let's put that aside. And there is definitely a risk, perhaps more concerningly, that the spirits that you are engaging with are not the spirit of God. Now, let's look into that. Let's start with, with some, something really, really tangible. And that is the feelings that people sometimes get when the Holy Spirit falls on them. If you've been in worship and you've been praying and trying to open yourself up to God as much as you can, and you felt goosebumps, that may be the Holy Spirit. If you felt what you might describe as a warmth over your body or a tingling for over your body, that may be the Holy Spirit. If you felt something that people describe as, as something in the pit of their stomach, that may be the Holy Spirit. Those four are all fairly common responses to when the Spirit falls on people in worship. But we're not giving a theology of tingles, so let's unpack this a little bit more. Theology of tingles. There's a website waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's getting blocked in some Chrome browsers. All right. <laughs> ah, stick to the script, Wardrop. Stick to the script. Come on. Let's look at the theology. Anything that we say and do in the Spirit of God. Right. Okay. I'm going to calm down because this is actually quite important. Thanks, Jez. Uh, anything we say and do in the Spirit of God will point and testify to Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Messiah of Israel and all creation. That's how we will know it's the Holy Spirit. When we speak in the Spirit, we cannot speak poorly of Jesus. When we speak highly of Jesus, we're speaking in the Spirit of God, whether we realize it or not. When we speak poorly of Jesus, we are moving against the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God testifies to Jesus Christ. And when our spirits testify to Jesus, we know we're moving in the Holy Spirit. So... If what we say and do doesn't glorify God the Father and Christ the Son, it's not led by the Spirit. And if what we say and do doesn't match up with the Spirit-breathed Word of God as revealed in the Bible, how you are living and what you are doing is not of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me give you an example. Because the Holy Spirit is not limited to the Bible. Let me explain that for a minute. The Holy Spirit, the, the Bible is Spirit-breathed. Not, it doesn't contain the Spirit and trap it in there and suddenly we open the pages and the Spirit's out. Okay, but I, I, I want to say this carefully because you can get in shaky theological ground. I don't want to get cancelled here. The, the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. He is not words written down for us to understand God or for us to have a framework of meaning about God. He is the Holy Spirit himself, not spirit breathe. But we understand the workings of the Spirit mediated through Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is not confined to Scripture. But our understanding of the Spirit is guided by Scripture. Let me give you an example. The Holy Spirit will never come to me and fall on me and say, Mike, cheat on your wife. 
How do I know that? Because again and again and again, adultery is spoken of against adultery in the Bible. It's spoken against adultery. Pick a book, it'll probably speak against adultery. So if I sense the Holy Spirit saying, Mike, go and cheat on your wife, I know it's not the Holy Spirit because the Bible has given me clear guidelines about what to do in that case. I don't need the Holy Spirit's consultation not to cheat on my wife. I just don't do it. However, however, maybe you want to know how much time to spend on your phone, which is a genuine and real concern that some people in this room and preaching to you right now may need to consider. And when you do that, if you go to the Bible for answers, you will not find many answers. You will find very little information about blue light and screen time and the effects on developmental behavior. That's not going to happen. What you, what you might find is guidelines around wisdom, around moderation and things like that. But what you really need to do is simply go to the Holy Spirit and ask. Now, let's imagine I do it and Tash does it. We both have the same problem. We're talking together. We're like, hey, we both need to um, spend less time on our phones. And we go away and we pray about it. And I say, I felt God saying, I need to um, delete Instagram. And Tash comes back and she's like, actually, I just felt God saying, I need to keep an eye on the time and it needs to be two hours or less every day. Those are two totally different answers. Both of them are totally valid. The Spirit of God is speaking differently to different people about the same problem. Does this make sense? Like you, you, you get the Bible. The Bible is here to give you guidelines about all of the wisdom of life. However, there are some things you need to stop and ask the Spirit to speak into. I know people who have given up potential careers because they have sensed the prompting from the Holy Spirit to say, this is not for you. I'm chasing after this, but this is not for you. I know people, in fact, frankly, I'm married to my wife because I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, yes, she is the one you should marry when I was asking. Now, we were already dating at the time. This wasn't one of those blind, like, hey, <laughs> I think we should get married kind of things. That is definitely not happening in this church. Praise God. But the Holy Spirit will speak to you when you ask, and that's really important to know because it gives us the freedom to come and ask. It gives us the knowledge to go, when I don't have the knowledge, the Spirit does, and the Spirit's longing to inform me. So the Holy Spirit is not limited to the Bible, but it will never contradict the Bible. Now let's dig into Galatians 5 just for a minute because Galatians 5 gives us a nice overview of what is and isn't the working of the Holy Spirit. In Paul's letter to the Galatian churches, he points out to people that when we have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us, we look different. We don't behave the same. We don't have the same ethics. We don't have the same uh, standards of living. Even the, even the way we go about our behaviors are different. And so this is what he says, verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. It's up behind me if you need. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the Holy Spirit and our instinctive desires often work against each other. That's important to know. Next time someone tells you to follow your heart, tell them to read their Bible. They don't need the Spirit for that. The Bible tells them the heart is deceitful above all things. What do the desires of the flesh look like? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. These are the things that we just do instinctively because we want to, not because they're good for us or holy in any way. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and my favorite, 
and anything similar. Just in case you were like, well, I don't know that I'd call it carousing exactly. Paul was like, fine, and anything similar. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. You know, and any other tasks as required by the company corporation. You know, it's at the bottom of every job description. <laughs> now listen to this. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Take two main things out of this. Number one, if you're doing these things, you don't have the Holy Spirit working in you. I don't mean that one sin will ruin you for life. We have repentance by the grace of God. But if you are intentionally, consistently pursuing these sinful behaviors, the Spirit of God is not working in you. These are the acts of the flesh, which is against the Holy Spirit. So just take that seriously. Because the second point, which is like it, is this. If you are doing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just let that sink in for a minute. In the scriptures, in the gospel, Jesus says, not all of you who say, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this seems pretty harsh, but why do we think this is? Well, it's because you don't want to inherit the kingdom of God. What you want is the kingdom of self, the kingdom of Mike. Like, I want things to be built in my, in my likeness, in my framework. Frankly, the world would look horrific if that was happening. No one would pay attention to any details at any point, just for starters. But that's what we want. We set up a framework where it's a kingdom of self. And so when we pursue the works of the flesh, we are actively saying to God, when we do it again and again, I don't want what you have. I want what I want right now. And I'm not willing to wait. I'm not willing to look at what you want for me. We can't inherit the kingdom without the spirit of God because it's like a divine deposit in a human bank account. It's God's way of saying, I'm just going to pop this deposit in and I'm just going to see what happens. Now, you can throw the deposit out the window and run in the other direction if you don't think it's valuable, you know. But if you do, maybe you'll do something about it. Now, choosing independence from God and all of this is a bit heavy. But luckily, Paul tells us what it looks like when we do choose the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I want you to imagine walking with the Holy Spirit, like in a dance, where you are walking together simultaneously. There's a synchronicity, a rhythm to it. In fact, imagine like the Holy Spirit is leading you in the dance and you two are partners in it, but you're being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. This is the beautiful walk of God. And in this image, as you read through these words, the fruits of the Spirit, that is the outworkings, the natural outworkings of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things, isn't this who you want to become? How would you imagine if you were, you were a grandmother, you're in your 80s, and your grandchildren are talking about you, and you, you can't hear them because the hearing's gone, but your grandchildren are talking about you, and they say, how would you describe grandma? And they, and they said to you, you know, she's just full of gentleness and kindness, full of that. I would call her a woman of goodness. Imagine that. That is the heritage of faith promised by God 
for those who pursue a life led by the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. And here's the best part. Paul is not giving these as a list of do's and don'ts. He's saying, when you pursue life in the Spirit, this is what it looks like. When you don't pursue it, this is what it looks like. Oh, you're making me... No, 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 I'm not making you do anything. I'm saying if you pursue the Spirit of God filled in your life and transforming you, it will look like that. You will be kinder, more loving, more faithful, more generous, more gentle, more self-controlled, whether you want it or not, because, not because you want that, but because you want the Spirit of God to fill you and transform you. That's what's going to do the work. And if you don't do the work, the natural mudslide of your life will take you down the mountain into the works of the flesh. That is what will happen if you choose to intentionally not pursue the Spirit of God. So pursue the Spirit of God. Paul isn't telling you to work harder. He's telling you to let the Holy Spirit in. That's the key difference. God's doing the work. So what does the Holy Spirit actually do? Well, we've seen a little bit of that already, but let me point to three more important things. Number one, the Holy Spirit offers counsel. He offers counsel to us. In John chapter 16, verse 7, which we looked at earlier, Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit by the name Counselor, it's the Greek term parakletos, and it often gets used for different words as well. We'll look at another translation of it in a second. But the word counselor solves a lot of your problems in counter church. Because the biggest prayer request I get asked, far and beyond anything else, is I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what's going on in the next season of my life. Young adults, you know what's going on here. Like, you know what this prayer request is. Don't pretend you haven't come and asked it. I don't know what to do. Will you pray for me? You're like, yes, I can. And I can promise you that you will get some guidance because the Holy Spirit is a counselor. It is a promise from God that the Holy Spirit is there to guide you. Now, he may not guide you where you expect, but he will guide you. So what should I do with my life? You should ask the Holy Spirit. He will tell you. He will prompt you. Or maybe as you pray, he'll prompt you to tell someone else. And you go, woodworking? Okay, weird. Is this for me? No, it's not. Okay, and you go over to somebody and like, Jeremy, I don't know, this this might seem a little out of left field, but I just sent, God is saying um, space pirate. That's that's his vision for you for the future. I don't don't know. I don't know. That just came to me. Uh, Maybe that's what it is. Obviously, I'm saying that because it, doesn't make any sense. Also, piracy seems against many of the scriptures we talked about already. <laughs> but this is the sort of thing, <laughs> even space piracy, which, you know, I'm sure will be a thing in the future. Focus. Focus. Come on. Don't let me, Jeremy, don't let me get distracted like that. Here's the, here's the thing there, that you are going to get counsel from the Holy Spirit, but it might not be internal. You may need to ask someone to pray for you for a word from God. And you may get a word from God for them. That is the church in action. That's the counsel of the Holy Spirit in action. The second thing the Holy Spirit promises is comfort. In in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, Luke writes about the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Philippians, Paul writes about the peace of God, which exceeds anything we can understand that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is the extraordinary comfort the Holy Spirit will bring. What is happening here is that God is promising that as we pray, that as we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, God will comfort us in extraordinary circumstances. Chances are, if you're on the beach and you're just lying there on a 30-degree day, soaking up the rays and going, oh, God, some comfort would be nice. God's probably like, you're on the beach on a 30-degree day reading a novel. You're fine. 
sip the mimosa, enjoy your day. You're having a great day. But when you are at the end of yourself and you have nowhere else to turn, the presence of God is there as a comforter. Peter didn't need the comfort of God in the boat. He needed the comfort of God in the water. Where did Jesus cry out for the comfort of God the most? Gethsemane and on the cross. The comfort of God is there for you in your darkest moments, not necessarily to take you away from them, but so that you know that God is with you in those moments. God will be with you there. The comfort of God when you are most unsettled and anxious in your daily lives, which is good news for anxious people. The times you feel out of control, the times you feel anxious, depressed, broken, God is present with you. That is the promise of God. Here's the third thing. The last thing I want to mention that the Spirit brings us, these are not the only things, but these are just three important things, is conviction. Sometimes the God, will bring, God will bring us counsel through His Spirit when we need it. Sometimes He will bring us comfort through His Spirit when we need it. And sometimes we will get conviction, which can feel like a punch in the guts. And I don't just mean that like a figure of speech. I mean like it can tangibly feel like you've been hit in the stomach when the Spirit of God convicts you in just the right way. My experience of conviction is that it is the most necessary of those three things. Counsel is helpful. Comfort is encouraging. But conviction will change you if you let it. When I was 21, I'd been a Christian for two years, come to faith and, um, and been sort of radically saved. And then two years later, I was sort of just trundling along in my faith. It was, going, it was fine. I would have said it was going pretty well, but I didn't know anything. And I went to this camp and I was just sort of praying. And I was praying really earnestly. Like, I want you to get that. This happens so often. We were like, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I am serious. Like, I'm as serious as I know how to be right now. And so I was praying earnestly. I'm 21 years old. And I just sent God say, now that you have this salvation, what are you going to do about it? What is it going to mean? I was like, oh, it's like, are you going to follow me with everything in your life? I was like, yes, yes, Lord. You know how you say things before you know what they mean? Like, yes, Lord. Yep, I'm all in. And God said, good. Here are three names. You need to go and apologize to them for the hurt you've caused them. Come again? He's like, yep. And only one of them is on this camp with you. So you can only do one while you're all hopped up on this spiritual high right now. The other two, you've got to wait until you've come down, gone back from camp, relax, and then you have to go and repent of your sin to them. And I did. And in that was this transformational moment, not only for me to go, this is transforming me by understanding my own sin, my own brokenness, my own struggle, not only for the people that I was asking for forgiveness from, because frankly for them, only one of them was like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> the other two sort of went, oh, okay, I don't really remember what you're talking about, but okay, seems important to you. The main thing here was God was calling me to obedience. Do you know how to say yes to God? When the Holy Spirit comes, when we cry out, we say, God, I want you, I want your presence. Do you want the feeling or do you want the transformation that comes when the Holy Spirit convicts us? Because the feeling is nice, but the feeling will go away. And you will then start going, oh, God, were you even here? Yes, God was here. Where were you? God showed up in power. He gave you an instruction. What did you do with it? And that is the transforming thing that the Spirit does when He convicts us. That's what we really need. The conviction of the Holy Spirit brings transformation in our lives. The Holy Spirit is here, friends, to help keep us in step with Him. Not because he has this giant rule book he's desperate for you to follow, 
but because when we're not in step with Him, we absolutely demolish our own lives again and again. We just do little acts of subordination every day until suddenly we've white answered our entire life and it falls apart and we wonder why. Then we get angry at God, the same God that we've been ignoring for years. But God's saying, just turn to me now. Turn to me now. Invite my Holy Spirit to speak to you, to counsel you with what to do, to comfort you in your sorrow and pain and to convict you so that you can be humbled so that you can begin to be transformed and to keep in step with the Spirit the way I'm calling you to be. So we're now going to come to a place of response. And the response God is calling everybody in this room to is obedience. That obedience will look different for everybody, but that's the response. And God's question is this, are you ready? Are you ready to lay down the mess and muddle you've made of your life? Are you ready to lay down your own sense of control that you are working your life, everything's going fine? We are, every single one of us, that dog sipping a cup of coffee while the fire burns around us meme. <laughs> Until we invite the Holy Spirit in. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards our hearts and minds. And then the counsel of God, tells us what to do next to get out of the fire. And then the conviction of God reminds us of what got us in the fire in the first place. That's what God is coming to bring through His Spirit, if you'll let Him. So as we step into a month in which I'm praying for prophecies, for miracles, for healings, for gifts of the Spirit, for salvations by the dozen in our church, it's time to come first to the altar. It's time to come first to the altar that God has brought before us, which is at the temple of your own heart, of your own body, and just say, Holy Spirit, come. I want you to take over my life again. I want to be transformed in Jesus' name. I don't want to hold on to these old pains and hurts. I want to, don't want to be who I was. And there is a three-step process to make this happen because I'm a preacher. The first thing is you've got to remove all your defenses. It's up behind me. Let go of your defenses. In fact, for some of you, it'll feel physical. Just relax. Relax your body. Breathe. Just breathe in, breathe out. Online church, at home, just breathe. Breathe in and out. The second thing is we request. We say, Holy Spirit, come. I want your manifest presence in this place. I'm longing for your presence. And then the final thing, is we receive. We let God speak how He wishes. We just listen. Jesus often said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. That's what we need to do. The Spirit of God is longing to speak to us. We need to remove any barriers we put in the way. We need to request the Spirit of God. Would you speak? Holy Spirit, come. And then we just receive what's God got for me tonight. That is God's prayer for you. I'm deliberately trying to keep this a bit more low-key emotionally because I want you to know that when it happens, it is the Holy Spirit. The question you've got to ask yourselves is, am I ready? Am I ready for the transformation of the Spirit of God? Am I tired of what has been? Am I ready for what can be? One last thing. As, as we, why don't we stand as we do this? We're going to go back into a posture of worship the heat is on. Everyone's nice and warm. It's good. 
but we need to be a little bit uncomfortable to let the Spirit work. Just a little bit. Now, some of you have never done this before, and frankly, it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, the idea of, of, of losing control. I just want to encourage you with just one word, surrender. Just surrender. Just open your hands and let God move. And for some of you, you've done this a million times and you're stepping into it, you're like, I'm ready, come on, fill me out. And God will, you know, that's why you're excited because God is gracious like that. And some of you, it's not that you've never done it before, it's not that you're excited, it's that it's been so long, you're just a bit nervous or you're feeling a bit dry, the well's gone dry. You're like the Samaritan woman going to the well in the middle of the day, looking down without much particular hope. But it's time, it's time to be filled from the well again. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer a prayer and I'm going to invite us all to participate. And I'm going to invite you all to say the same prayer. And then while we're worshipping, I'm going to be down the front. I'll pray with anybody who wants it. Because for some of you, the way you need to respond might be a little more dramatic. You might need to drop to your knees. You might need to put your hands in the air. You might need to come down to the front. Do what the Holy Spirit says. That's what you need to do. Just be obedient. For some of you, God might be giving you a word for somebody else. You need to cross the room and tell them. For some of you, God's telling you something big. You need to start writing it down. You need to be jotting it in the notes function, right? Getting that sorted is important. But here's where it begins. Why don't you open your hands with me tonight if you're comfortable? Just put your hands out. It's just a sign of surrender. It's a sign of receiving. That's how you get a gift. You receive a gift by putting your hands out. And if there's any defenses in you right now, as we're praying, only you and God know what they are. Just let them go. Particularly, I want to speak to people who feel cynical. Just push that aside. What is it gaining you? What is it gaining you? And now we just say, Holy Spirit, come. If you're comfortable, just say it with me. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, we invite you into our lives. Holy Spirit, would you fill us from head to toe? Lord, we're longing for the manifest presence of God, the power of your presence in this place. Lord, what you call us out into in obedience, we will do. Would you speak to us tonight? Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.